bow our heads this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that today you are still God, the God that knows the beginning from the end, the God that knows exactly where we're at today, knew where we were at many years ago and knows what the future holds. And so today, Lord, we lean on you. We look to you. Father, in a moment like this, we, we can't probably put words to it as human beings. We have a multitude of emotions. And Lord, you see all of those this morning. But you promised, Lord, that you would be not only a savior, but a comforter, a healer. You would be a guide. You would be everything to us. And this morning, we want to lean on you in a greater way again, Lord. We're calling on you again, Lord. It's us standing in the need of prayer. Lord, it's us that are standing in the need of you this morning. And we want to ask you to come, Lord. We can't put into words, but Lord, only you can put into words that which we need this morning. Father, we're here standing at the post of duty. There's a hole in our midst this morning. There's a hole in the midst of the Hildebrandt household this morning. Father, would you fill that place? Would you be very, very near to them? There's a hole in this church this morning. And Lord, we're asking you that you will also fill that. There's a hole in many of our hearts. And Lord, we're needing you. We want to lean on you this morning. We're inviting you to come and minister to us. Lord, we, we ask now, take this service. Take us all into your hands. I don't feel I've got the words that would be appropriate, but Lord, as I would endeavor, I'm asking you, Lord, that you would just minister to us this morning. Be with us in the days to come. Lord, as we commit ourselves to you, we ask now your blessing in Jesus' name. Comfort, Lord, not only the immediate family, but also Sister Debbie and Sister Wendy, Brother Len, his sister, the others, and all of us, Lord. We commit ourselves to you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've been fairly long with our preliminaries this morning. I won't sing any more songs. Thank you to the musicians. I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 15. And then after that, we're going to turn to Deuteronomy 32. As I said, I have a multitude of thoughts and emotions today. So I, I, I'm not sure the direct course will take, but I ask you to give me a little grace. And I'm trying to be considerate of where we're all at as a people this morning. So Acts chapter 15, as... As our brother Harold would say, a time like this, there's only one place you can go. That's the Bible, the Word of God. So that's where we're going this morning. God bless you all. Thank you also for all of your prayers. Thank you for all your notes to myself and to others, to the family. We appreciate everyone. Thank you. Acts chapter 15, we'll read from verse 18, just one verse there. <clears throat> Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. 
Nothing catches God by surprise. Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. Deuteronomy chapter 32. I've taken a few services on the Lord's portion is His people, and I'm going to draw from that subject this morning. Deuteronomy 32. I'm going to circumvent the first part of this, but I'll go right to verse 29. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How how should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up. Verse 31, for their rock is not as our rock, and he is a rock in the time of trouble. God bless you. You may have your seats. I'm going to invite you to also go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. One other thing Brother Harold would want us to do is to be sad. So we're going to sing some Happy songs too. We're gonna we're gonna preach the word. We're gonna we're gonna do the things that we do because we're not looking at just this life. We're looking beyond that. So <coughs> this morning, if I can, I want to speak on, as I said, the Lord's portion is His people. But I'm gonna use a subject consideration for the latter end, and it'll be on the thought of God's consideration for the latter end. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33, if we can start there, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in flight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Now, this is a commentary that Paul is making for many of the saints that had gone before. And many of the saints, if you would have asked them at the time that they were doing what they were doing, would you ever think this commentary would be made about you? They would have said, no, I I didn't see us doing that. So he says, they quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. They waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Now all of these things were done for what purpose? That they might obtain a better resurrection. There was a spirit in them that was not content to go by the way of the world, not content with just a simple order, but something that pushed them a little further, something that pushed them a little higher, something that caused them to do a little bit more that they may obtain a better resurrection. There is a general resurrection for all the dead. 
There is a resurrection where everybody will come up and they will have to answer and give an account. But there is, before that ever happens, there is a better resurrection. There is a first resurrection. Those that have served God and, and have, have lived out the portion that he predestinated in them, they will raise. There will be a rapture. And the order of the rapture is those that are dead, those that are, have gone before us, they will raise first, and then we which remain, we will be caught up with them. So there is an order to all of this. So he says that they may obtain a better resurrection. Drop down to verse 39. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. So in other words, Abraham was looking for a king. He, was look, he met the king, but he was looking for a city. Now he never came to that city, but as he was looking, that which he was looking for, he went into the grave with that promise, with that expectation in his heart. And I would say, the promise of the message that Brother Branham, when he passed on, that lived on. That lived on in men of God. That lived on in believers. That promise that's lived in in the men that have gone since then, the men that have also gone in the grave, that still lives on. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about this way, but Joseph, who was a type of Christ, when he came to his end... When he came to his end, while he was yet in Egypt, when he came to his end, before he ever died, before they ever put his body in the grave, he made them swear and say to them, do not bury me in this land. Do not allow me just to be here in Egypt. Why? Because he, he knew there was an expectation there will be a resurrection. Where his great-great-grandfather Abraham was, that was the land. That was the land that Job had inherited. That was the geographical land that was given to the children of Israel. That was their inheritance. That was what God gave them. And Joseph, when he died, he said, Do not bury me in Egypt. Bury me in this land. He said, that's where the resurrection will be. And that's where we all want to be buried. <clears throat> now, not only did that command come at the time that Joseph gave it, but many years later, when a Pharaoh arose that knew not Joseph, many years later there had to be one that stood there and there had to be a group of young men that would carry that casket into the new land that would be faithful to take what God had planted in Joseph and allow it to keep moving forward. And that's the same thing that we have a duty today. Our duty is to the message to keep that word going, to keep it moving forward, to keep it pressing on. <coughs> I believe that's what God wants us to do. So here it says, These all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. So God knew that there would be an Abraham. 
God also knew that Abraham would have a seed. God knew that as much as Abraham would be given the promise, his seed would be the ones that would inherit the promise. God had a Moses who was a mighty uh, prophet in the order of Jesus Christ himself, a lawgiver, none like him, even identified right in Malachi 4. And, and as much as that Moses was there, was ordained of God, and listen, redemption has two parts. There's a, there's a coming out, there's a going in. And as much as Moses was the one ordained to take the children of Israel out, he himself never went in. Now, he did show up. God carried him away. He did show up on Mount Transfiguration. He did show up at the, uh, you know, uh, he will show up, that spirit will show up to Israel again. Now, God knew that, that Moses would be there, but beyond Moses, there would be a latter end. There would be a, a, a portion that was appointed beyond that life. One of the greatest things to me, if you ever have an opportunity to go on to YouTube and you, you, you look up, there was a man, I think his name is McDowell, he was an organ player in Brother Branham's meetings. And, and there was a meeting, I think it was in 1965, whether it was in Phoenix or something, but this man, um, he was just an organ player and, and, and somehow he had chance to meet with Brother Branham after and, and I, I don't recall the exact testimony. I, if, if, I, if you want it or you can find it, I'll try and share it with you. But in, in his testimony, he was telling Brother Branham, he said, oh, you could be doing so many great things. You could be here and here. I've, I've played organ in many gospel meetings, but never meetings like yours. And he says, well, you know, we could do all of those things. And Brother Branham just looked at him and he said, my time is over. He says, I must, just like John the Baptist said, I must decrease, but he must increase. And he said, my time is over. My ministry is just about finished. Now that, that's an amazing thing to me is that, that the seed that is part of the process to bring things to a fullness can recognize its place and say, I, I, this is my portion, but there'll be more to come. And I want to say this morning, there is more to come. There is more that must move forward. There must be a maturing. There must be a moving forward. That expectation cannot die. That has to keep moving forward. <laughs> so the Bible, when the writers of the Bible, I don't know how they determined where you stop your, the end of a chapter and start a new chapter. Maybe the writer himself did, maybe Paul did. But if you take this last chapter of Hebrews 11 and you just take it right over into Hebrews chapter 12, it concludes in Hebrews 11 and says, God provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, so when you say wherefore, Something happened. Wherefore, <laughs> seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What are the cloud of witnesses? 
What are those, that cloud of witnesses? Oh, there's a cloud of witnesses in every generation. There's a cloud of witnesses in this generation. There's a Don Bablitz. There, there's a Brother Beaton. There, 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 there is a Perry Green. There's others. There's a great cloud of witnesses. If you look at what's been happening over the last few years, there are more and more that are gathering on the other side. Wherefore, seeing we have this great cloud of witnesses, what I want you to do, just sit back and shrink. No, Paul gives the same admonition. They without us cannot be made perfect. And he says, wherefore, he says, seeing we are compassed with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Let us, and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There's a part in a relay race, it's always amazing to me. And a relay race is four runners typically. But they run around the track and they're all carrying one common element. It's not that the runner that starts the race has to cross the end. But the baton that he's holding has to make it across the finish line. So it's not the runner himself, but it's the expectation, it's the promise that they are carrying within themselves as they run the race and then they pass it off. And as the next one runs, I've got something precious. I'm going to run with that. I'm going to allow that to move forward. <coughs> That's what we've got. And as it passes on to the next one, and finally it comes to the last runner. It's always amazing to me that there's four runners. And the Bible talks about the fourth generation. It would say, but in the fourth generation. It's amazing to me how God types all of these things. In the fourth generation, they shall come in. If I, if I don't get to the scripture today, but go to Genesis 15, and God says, your seed, tells Abraham, will dwell in a, in a land under bondage to a people. But in the fourth generation, they will come out. Now God has written that in nature. And you look at it, one of the most marvelous ones to me is the monarch butterfly. The monarch butterfly has four generations. They, they, are, they, they winter in um, Mexico and California. They have these groves of trees, these butterflies. They, they winter there all winter. And then as they winter and they, they give their offspring, the offspring start a journey. And, and for three generations, they start a journey to the north. It's happening right now. The first generation lives five to six weeks. And as they live five to six weeks, they pass on. No matter where they are in their journey, that offspring carries on the same journey. And then there's another offspring comes up to the same journey until it gets to the fourth generation. Now I may get this not quite right, and like I said, you bear with me. But the fourth generation lives eight months. And the fourth generation retraces all that the other generations had, comes right back to complete the circle. 
And I'll say this, friends. We are living in the season of the fourth generation. There are young people here that will never die. There are people that are in this congregation that will never die. But capture the promise of all the others that went before. They will live again. <laughs> what is our burden? Our burden is not just that the elders catch the revelation. No, our burden is that the life comes into every member that is ordained to life and that that expectation begins to rise up in them. So Hebrews 11 to Hebrews 12. Let us run (laughs) this race with patience, with patience, with patience, with patience. You might say, I'm losing my patience with you, Brother Ed. This is a test. With patience. The wheels of God's economy move slowly. might be many questions what's going to, what's going to happen we know in whom we have believed and the one who led us to this point and i will just say the god that was so faithful even at brother harold's end to not let him get entangled in furniture hit his head but just be laid down at his end and be transported over. That God is still here. That God is still our portion today. <coughs> that God is the one that's going to see this through. There were seeds that were planted by the messenger. And there were men that were faithfully taught that took those same seeds and planted them again and again. Those seeds are still being planted. They're still coming to life. And I say, let me be counted among those faithful to plant those seeds. Let let us as fathers and mothers be faithful to plant those seeds in our home. Let's not be weary in well-doing. Let's press that battle. Let's keep it moving forward. So then Paul gives us this admonition in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now it was a couple of weeks ago we had our last communion. And it was... I think the first time in this church that we haven't had a communion that Brother Harold's presided over. But we had a communion, and as we were coming to it, I I, I was really reflecting, and not that it's me or anything, but I just reflecting, what are we remembering here? We remember the Lord's death, but we often just point to this little period of time at a cross of Calvary, and that's where it was paid. But before he ever came to that cross, and let's call it the cross that is here or that cross that is there, before he ever came to that, there was a foundation laid in the Old Testament. 
There was a foundation laid in the prophets, in the law. There was, there was all kinds of provision made, and, and it was escalating to the time that God would manifest in the flesh. God would give an example in the prophets of suffering and things to come, and finally God steps into that flesh, and he comes into that flesh, and he dies the death, and many people didn't know at that moment what happened. And then after that death, see, it, it, there was a foundation before but there was also a latter part of that. The reason he died that death is so that he could redeem every name that was placed on the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. So there was names that were placed there before there ever was an earth, before there ever was anything. And he knew that, and he came to bring us back to that. And so he started to project himself into time. He started to project himself, and he came up to Calvary. He paid this price, and then he said, it is finished. And he sat down expecting until all his enemies became his footstool. Now Calvary didn't just end there, but there was a latter part to Calvary. So Hebrews 12 verses 2, he said, wherefore, what did he do? It says, he sat down. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that these nails go into my hands? No, that wasn't his joy. His joy was going to be expressed in the ages that we're going to be following. In Ephesus, in Smyrna, coming right down to Thyatira, coming right into all of these areas, right down to Laodicea. He projected, he saw joy before him. There'll be people that will believe me. There'll be people that will accept what happened at Calvary. And I'll intercede for them. And I'll be there for them. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. <coughs> and we'll have fellowship. And we'll have communion. And it will culminate in the greatest part of it all. And I'll save that for today. But don't just look at Calvary as just this little portion. And that before that, you know, all of that was just filler. No, it was God in time coming through. And it was God in time working his way. The, 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 the sacrifice that came on Calvary, the, the blood of bulls and goats could not come back on us. And we by the law could not redeem ourselves. The spirit, there was no spirit. It had to be a kinsman redeemer. It had to be that spirit that could come and live in us. That's what gives us overcoming power. That's what comes and gives us grace. He saw the latter end at the beginning. He knew at the beginning what the latter end would be. <coughs> so he says, looking unto Jesus for the joy that was set before him. Now, could you imagine this moment in time that Jesus is at? He's on the cross and he's thinking, well, he's in Gethsemane. You could start there because he died more deaths in Gethsemane than he ever did at the cross. He began to lay his life down. He began to lay his will down. And, and he began to see things. And he began to speak in John chapter 17. You are in this world, but you're not of this world. 
and I, I'm going to have fellowship, and I'm going to have communion with you again. We are going to be together again. It's not finished on this earth. It's going gonna, it's gonna to carry through. It's going to bring you to an eternity, and I'm going to lay my life down, and because I, I see you ahead in time, because I see you, I'm going to do this right now. And friends, because we see a future, because we see another gathering, we will continue. We will continue to press forward. <laughs> Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. If I could give some context here, we read out of Deuteronomy 32, where Moses speaks to them to consider their latter end. So if I can give some context, it was in Exodus that God spoke through a pillar of fire to Moses, and he did that because he remembered his promise to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, it's not just you, it's the seed in you. Now, I just want you to think, and I'm not going to get into this in fullness today, but it was a simple act of Abraham, and to me this is, this is striking, it was a simple act in Abraham. Abraham is called out, he's following the voice of God, he's got a nephew named Lot who goes down to Sodom. Abraham didn't draw boundaries. Lot was in trouble. Abraham went after him. Even though Lot went out from him, Abraham went after him. Even though Lot went out from him, Abraham went after him. You said that already, Brother Ed. Even though Lot went out, Abraham went after him. He keeps running after us. He doesn't stop. All my life you have been faithful. You never stop running after me. The God that was with you in a trial, he's still God today. He never stops. If you're a child of God, you can try and fit into the world. You can run after the world, but you will never be successful because God will run after you. He will never stop. Abraham goes after him. The king of Sodom comes out. Here's your reward, Abraham. I'll give you all of this. And Abraham says, I want none of it. And the next scripture, he meets Melchizedek. And he turns around, not taking any of the spoils of the world. But he says, now, my life, a part of my life is wrapped up in you. And I'm going to give you a tenth. No obligation from the heart. Don't think I'm here preaching on tithing. I'm not. I'm just talking about what's a part of us. He says, he gives him, I'm giving you this. And God looks down right at that moment. And he doesn't just see what Abraham did. But he looks down through Isaac. He looks down through Jacob. He looks down through the offspring of Jacob. And out of 12 tribes, he says, okay, Levi is going to come, he just paid tithes. 
And he says, because Levi paid tithes, he won't have to pay tithes down the road. His inheritance will be among the people. Now, you can't figure that out. I can't figure that out. But that's what was in God's mind. You can't take that away. That was God's purpose. That was their inheritance. <coughs> now, there's, uh, there's a whole aspect to this about Joseph and, and Levi. And, and there's a part about Judah. Lord willing, I, I've had it in my notes for a couple of Sundays, but I haven't got to it. And I don't know when I'll get to it. Maybe I won't, but I don't know. But I'm just going to say, God sees the, the, at the beginning, he sees the end. God speaks. God has an attribute in heaven. The attribute's a part of his being. It becomes a thought in God. And as a thought, he just says, now, I'm going to speak it. And when he speaks it, he can't take it back. Because it's a part of him. Satan was created. He will have an end. He was created for the purpose of God. You, I, I won't have time to get into Romans chapter 9 today. Pharaoh was predestinated that the purpose of God may be fulfilled. Satan was created. Children of God are not created. They are begotten. They're a part of God. They were in the mind of God. They were the thoughts of God. They are a part of him. They can't be lost. <coughs> the Logos that came out from God as the only begotten of the Father. He was a part of God. Jesus Christ was the heart of God. The believer today is still the heart of God. Deuteronomy 8. <coughs> still trying to establish my context for Deuteronomy. Exodus, they came out. Leviticus rules and, and regulations and numbers, more accounts. Deuteronomy, the last month of the last year of 40 years in the wilderness. Now God's telling them, you're going in to possess the land. The Hebrew mothers that gave birth, and they groaned. As they're giving birth, they're in their groaning. And they're saying, Ephraim, Judah. Asher, what they didn't know, what they were groaning within themselves was a representation of a position that was there in the promised land. Their name had a meaning. Their name had a place. Brother Harold had a place. His name, Slayer with the Sword, and Captain, that was a place. That was given. Nobody could take that place. Nobody will ever take that place. But I'm going to say, not just pointing to Brother Harold, not just pointing to ministers, but young people, you have a place. Sisters, you have a place. Everybody has a place. You can never lose it. I got many scriptures I could write down and do a study, but I'm not very eloquent at that this morning. But the land that was their inheritance, it was not just their land. It was God's land. Yeah. 
Read in Leviticus chapter 25, I believe it. He says, the land is mine. It shall not be sold forever. And God, because his attribute is a redeemer, and because he said this, he said, Therefore, if a brother is waxen poor, if a brother is fallen, if he loses his place, you can't keep it forever. At a certain time, in a certain season, there will be a law of redemption. There will be a year of release. There will be a jubilee. And if that, if something would happen before that, there will come a kinsman redeemer. There was three avenues by which the land would be restored. And it was God that was watching over the land. We're coming to the end of 6,000 years. At the end of 7,000, there should be a year of release that the earth, which is an attribute of God, gets released back to God. But before that ever happens, a kinsman redeemer comes in at 6,000 years, or he comes in and he steps in, and like, like Boaz of old, he steps up in the gate of the elders and he said, let it be known that this day, Naomi, who is represented in Israel, and Ruth, the Gentile bride, I have purchased. So he circumvents the time. He is a kinsman redeemer. He steps in the breach. He has stepped in the breach today for us. We are his. <laughs> Deuteronomy, he's telling them now, you're going in the land, but I see what's going to happen. You're going to corrupt yourself. You're going to do different things. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. But now let's just, just take this for a few moments. I, <coughs> I'll just take this aspect, Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to just pick this up. Verse 7. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land. You might have thought, while you were in Egypt, that was a good land. No, he's got a better land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of the valleys and the hills. A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates. Pomegranates. A land of oil, olive, and honey. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread with scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he has given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, that thine heart be lifted up and forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I'm not forgetting about the runners. I'm coming to it. I didn't finish my thought on that. 
I'm just, like I said, I got a multitude of thoughts this morning. When Brother Branham left, and he was at that mountain, and there, the peak had been chopped off, and there was a bunch of men around him, and he said, light has never shone on this before. You stay here and keep looking at this. I'm paraphrasing. And while they were looking on it, now that was his last words, keep looking on it. And while they were looking on it, he slipped away. And he says, did they keep looking on it? Some did, but some went this way, some went that way, some went this way. Now, the man that spoke the words was not there anymore. But the command was, the order was, the God who was going to honor that command was there. And I'll say, the God who watches over this word, he's still here. He's still going to honor his word. He's going to honor those that are faithful to his word. Not just to a man, to his word. <coughs> so he says, we finished in verse 14, verse 15, who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, and when there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna that thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee, the last sentence, to do thee good at thy latter end. Oh, the goodness of God. He watches over us all the days of our lives. My mother has a little plaque. It's in German. It's out of Isaiah chapter 40. It's in her bedroom. She had it as a gift for her wedding day. Ich will euch tragen bis ins Alter und bis ihr grau werdet. A few of you understood that. Isaiah chapter 40. I will carry you till you're gray, till your end has come. The Lord knows our beginning, but more than that, he knows our end. He knows the latter end. He was there at the beginning when a prophet went out with signs and healings. He was there when the miracles were there. He was there when the word started breaking forth. And he's been there since the prophet went on the scene. He was there when, when men carried the gospel and went over the, all over the world. There was no churches, but churches began established. He, the denominations don't even know how this message ever started. How did you do this without an organization? God did it, not man did it. Don't think for a moment, Brother Harold, he had in his mind, okay, I'm going to do all of this, and at the end, I'm going to have all of these things. He just went out by the unction in his heart. He went out not knowing what's ahead. He didn't know what was going to come out of all of this. That wasn't Brother Harold. That was God that did that. That same God is here today. He will still do the work. So he was there doing all of that. That God is watching right to this moment. Right where this church is. Right where you young people are sitting. The homes that you are born in. He's still watching. And as much as he was there at the beginning, he's here at the latter end. Amen. 
that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Go with me to the book of Ruth. Sister Ruth, I didn't give you this, but I think you might know where this book is in the Bible. (laughs) Ruth chapter 3. I don't even have it marked in my notes, but it's just coming to me and I need to follow it. Ruth is an amazing book because it's in part a parable of what would come at the end, at the end of time. And it's God now ushering in the time of the prophets, but more than that, the lineage that he's ushering in of the lineage of Jesus Christ, or watching over the lineage. And it's always amazing to me how the lineage that Matthew wrote, it involved so many undesirable situations and characteristics. It involved Rahab, who was a harlot. It involved Ruth, who was a Moabite. It involved... Bathsheba, although not written by name but by account, she who was caught in a, an adulterous affair with the king of David, a man after God, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. It, it gives an account of, of uh, Tamar, which was an incestuous relationship. But the story is not the bad side. The story is that God identified himself And through all of that, he was going to bring forth something. And the last woman that was mentioned was Mary. And the bride is a type of Mary. Now, Ruth being one of these, there are aspects of the book of Ruth that we're all acquainted with. I, I want you just to think about this for a moment. brother sent me this text earlier this week and I think it was Martin Luther who said it. He said, when I look at myself, I don't see how I could ever be saved. When I look at Christ, I don't see how I could ever be lost. So somewhere in between there, there's a truth. Now Ruth never knew what she was brought into. But she was being brought into an inheritance, and a lineage. And what she started with at the beginning was a mere foreshadow of what God had for her at the end. I don't know what it'll be like to meet some of these people in the Bible. You're Ruth. Did you know what you were doing when Naomi told you to go back and your your sister-in-law Orpha went back, but you... What was in you that made you say, your God will be my God? Your people will be, what, what was that in you? She said, I don't know, but I just had to follow it. I never knew what it would bring me into. And she followed that, 
And it was a strange series of events. She comes into Israel right in the time of the harvest. And destitute, having left their land. God wrote this story to amplify what was written in the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus, God wrote the story of a kinsman redeemer. And he said that the inheritance would not pass, that it would not be lost. Now, I'm just saying, God, and I want you to think in natural terms, the land of Israel is a land that God has his eyes on. No matter what the United Nations, no matter what the people say, no matter what happens, God has his eyes on that land, and that is a natural type of our land, a spiritual land. Twelve tribes, 12,000, they will take their place in that land yet. Not one less will be there, not one piece of land. God will fight for that land. Now, if that's God fighting for Israel, what about your land? your inheritance. The tape that we played on, on, on Wednesday was thy house. And he says, if you believe on the Lord, thy and thy house will be saved. That means your family. That means your children. That means that which you committed to God. They will be there. They will not be lost. If you believe, apply your faith to them. Don't let it go. If you're a mother, you can't let it go. If you're a father, you can't let it go. God put that in you. (coughs) Ruth comes in at the time of harvest. She didn't even know. She just thought, it's lost. There's, There's a law of a kinsman redeemer. She didn't know that God was preparing to write the amplified version of the law in a love story. And he was going to not just have the children of Israel, but he was going to bring the Gentiles in right then. Has God thought of you after Israel rejected, or did God think of you before? The bride was in his mind before there was a speck of stardust. The bride was typed out in Joseph when he was revealing himself to his brethren. She was already up there. She was a part of his bitter years in bondage. That was the bride. The the, the son of David has not come into his fullness. He's son of man now. But in his last acts of son of man, there's a bride that is being united with him now. And if you can see it, your name is being grafted in. It's being written into his inheritance. Ruth never saw this. Ruth, she comes in and she says, Naomi, your lands are in disrepair. Your well is dried up. Your house is in shambles. And, and she says, yeah, but God's made provision. You can glean in the field. This is actually part of my notes from Wednesday. I was speaking on replenishing the earth. But he comes in and he says, now, God made this provision. He told them in Israel, when you make a field, don't cut right to the edge of the corners. Leave some around the perimeter. 
so that the passerby can get something. And when you glean it, don't glean it and milk it dry. It's nothing. Leave some. Friends, what are we leaving behind us? Oh, I'm in the message and it's my turf. Don't you dare come on it. Oh, my goodness. What a sad existence. We are here because he knows we're here. He, God left those rules, but now he's going to show it. And Ruth comes in. She doesn't know what she did back in Moab. She doesn't know the day she stepped into a field. You didn't know what you stepped into when you stepped into this message. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. None of us deserved it. But it was God in his goodness who gave us this message. She steps into that field. And the Lord of the harvest couldn't help but see the character of this woman. Who is she? She's a Moabite. That doesn't matter. Who is she? Oh, she's the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Oh, Naomi who was in, in Moab and lost her husband and lost her, her children, her sons. Yeah, that Naomi. She doesn't have anybody. And, and just this, this daughter-in-law. Oh, she's more than a son. She's a vessel through which the lineage can be carried on. And God, and God looks, Boaz looks at this and says to the gleaners, you know, drop a handful on her. Oh, may he drop a handful on this season. Drop a handful on this one, on that one. There's times you didn't deserve it, I didn't deserve it. And God in his goodness pours out revelation pours out a word, gives you a phone call from a friend. I was thinking of you. I was praying for you. God in his goodness. Don't you think he knew the bitterness that which she went through? If you actually follow it through, she says, Naomi herself said, don't call me Naomi. It's been pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. This is bitter. I'm all gnarled up. There's nothing good that could ever come out of this. And God says, the God that led Israel in Exodus to bitter waters. And when they got to bitter waters, he says to Moses, take that tree, throw that tree in the midst of the waters. And the waters that tree represented Calvary. Out of every bitter water, there is coming a Calvary. There's that honey in the rock, Brother Tom was talking about. He drops it in the water, and the water's made sweet again. Oh, is it easy? No, it's not easy. Is it bitter? Absolutely, it's bitter. <coughs> but look at the God, what he's doing for her. She comes. She comes home that night and she says to Naomi, look what I gleaned. You gleaned that? That's impossible. Where were you gleaning? 
in the field of Boaz. Boaz, he's a nearer kinsman. Oh, and Naomi starts to see a window open up, starts to see a plan open up. Oh, God is in this thing after all. He has not left us. He is going before us in the midst of bitter waters. God is moving. (laughs) Ruth chapter 3. Now, verse 1, Naomi, her mother-in-law, says unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well for thee? Do you think it would have been well for her in Moab? Do you think it would have been well for her just under a lost inheritance just under Naomi. But as Naomi, as the types in the Old Testament begin opening up, the Christ that we believe, that Paul, the one we met on the pillar of fire, he goes back into Hebrews and he starts reading and says, oh, he's in the law, he's in the shadows. It's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ. This is what Naomi now started telling her. This is the kinsman. And so she says to her, now she gives instruction. Go to his feet tonight. Lay down and do all that I say. And she did all of these things. Verse 8, came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid. Turned himself and behold a woman lay at his feet and he said, who are you? Look at her answer now. Her answer is, not I'm a Moabite. Uh, No, I'm, I'm a gleaner in your field. No, it wasn't that either. God had moved her past those places. And within her, there was something happening. And she said, I am Ruth, your handmaid. None of these things happened by accident, Boaz. It was God that led me into your field. And he says, I'm Ruth, your handmaid. Spread your skirt over your handmaid. In other words, cover me. Thou art a nearer kinsman. And he says, Blessed art thou, be thou of the Lord my daughter. Now look at these words. For thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than in the beginning. Ruth, why did you do that in, in, in there, in, in Moab? I don't know why I did that. And, and how did it happen that you fell into that field? I, I don't know. But what made you go to him? She said, the types unfolded and I saw myself in the scripture. And I was instructed by Naomi who represented the the law and all those things. And I saw my place and I started to step into it. And I embraced him, the Lord of the harvest. I presented myself to him. I I already saw his feelings for me in that he'd left me something. I saw the care. How could I help but respond to him? And he says, 
And he says, you've showed more kindness in the latter end at the beginning. Friends, it's not how we start this race. It's how we finish this race. And he says, now my daughter, fear not. I will do unto thee all that thou requirest. For all, for all the city of my people dost know you are a virtuous woman. And now it is true, I'm a nearer kinsman, howbeit there's a kinsman nearer than I. Stay here, tarry this night. In the morning, I'll perform to thee the part of the kinsman. And, and let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman, then I will do the part of the kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth, lay down till morning. They, know, they didn't know each other, left and departed. And he gives her a veil full of six measures of barley. And then now one more time, the question is asked of her in verse 16. As she comes home and she sees, she lays this all, she says, who are you, my daughter? Naomi asked. And she told her all that the man had done for her. And, Ruth, and Naomi says, he will not rest. Can I just say this? The Lord that started this message, that started this work, he will not rest. He will finish the work. He will not stop. He will keep moving. He'll keep working at hearts. He'll keep listening to our prayers. He'll be in our services. He will go before us because he's a nearer kinsman. Oh, I love him, don't you? Let's have the musicians come. <coughs> I need to share something with you. <coughs> I was notes prepared, going thoughts. I left the house, I was thinking of things. I got just about to church and I realized I left all my notes, I left all my briefcase and everything at home. And the thoughts I was thinking started just around 8.45 this morning. And they're the notes that I wrote just in the office. And that's what the Lord wanted this morning. I didn't know, but I want to say this. God knows what we need. I'm putting myself with you. I'm not over you. I'm your servant. God knows what we need as a people. And we need him, the Lord of the harvest. Let's stand together. Peace of God, cover me. <coughs> Peace of God, cover me. Cover me. Cover me. Peace of God, cover me.
peace that passes all I am. 